as we talk about being messed up, we're going to talk today about the difference between being judgmental and using good moral judgment. And so we're going to look at a couple of different passages here. On the judgmental end of things, Matthew, and Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce you will be judged. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now Jesus is saying, basically, I hear this, past, hear this all the time. Everybody likes chapter 7, verse 1, when you're pointing out that they're doing something they shouldn't be doing. Well, the Bible says you're to judge not, lest you be judged. Well, yes, it does. But let's read the whole context. He doesn't say we can't judge sin. He's just saying you better make sure you're right before you try to start saying something else is wrong. He's saying don't, don't go out and, and be willing to point fingers at everybody else and not look at yourself. We all have things we've got to deal with. We all, we all got to be careful that we're not saying... You know, you, you get your life right, but I'm not going to worry about getting my life right. That's really what he's talking about here. But let's, let's go on to look at some passages about good moral judgment. What does he say in this next passage? And I can't get my slides to work, sorry. So what does he say in this next passage? Here we go. Don't worry about my slides. Uh, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Now that's, you know, put alongside Jesus is saying, judge not lest you be judged. It seems to be contradictory, doesn't it? I mean, people will tell you the Bible contradicts itself. This is one of those times when you go, all right, what, what's going on here? Why, why does John and Paul say one thing and Jesus say another? So let's, let's look at our question. You know, it seems to be offered. So what is the difference between being judgmental and having good moral judgment? Samuel, come on up here. I've asked Samuel to help me. I, the reason I'm doing this is one day we had a question and answer time, and Samuel answered it the first Thing, you know, perfect, so we couldn't have anybody else. So this way I get him to use, this way I get him to use the mic and other people have an opportunity. <laughs> so, uh, so if you have a, uh, an answer to this question, what the difference between being judgmental and having good moral judgment? Raise your hand, Samuel's going to come to you and, and hand you the mic. Not everybody at once. Well, one thing that I've thought about is that there are two aspects to the word judgment or to judge something. One is to uh, condemn, and the other is to test to see whether it is worthy. So I think that maybe that's the context here, that we do not condemn. That is God's work, but we do test to approve. Okay. Now, see, now Jennifer's blowing for everybody else. Man. <laughs> 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 All right. So from now on, whoever the first person to get their hand up, we have to wait on them until, until everybody else has a chance. <laughs> Anyone else? Oh, come on, don't let it intimidate you. All right, Brian. Brian's not intimidated. 
since the teacher taught, I'll give you the legal side of things. Um, so there's two phases. So in criminal law in the United States of America, there's two phases. There's um, a conviction phase, and then there's a sentencing phase. And so the conviction phase, the jury is asked to exercise good moral judgment and determine what the facts say about the situation, whether you know a crime has been committed and who committed it. And so they have to weigh a bunch of different contradictory facts. They have to see people on the stand and determine whether or not they're telling the truth and who's telling the most truth, who's twisting. So there's a, there's a moral judgment that's involved there without, um, as you're getting to a conviction, but then being judgmental and passing that judgment and condemning or, or sentencing or deciding what the consequences are, that is left to the second phase of a criminal trial. And sometimes that's done by a judge. In a capital case, it's done by the jury, meaning that if they have to decide that someone's going to be put to death for what they did, then that has to be done by a jury. But those, that sentencing part is pretty rigid. Uh, but the moral judgment part of the jury determining what the facts say is, is more based on what they see and can observe and what they know about what's right and wrong. Now everybody's really intimidated. <laughs> Anyone else? All right, well, let's give Samuel a hand. Thank you for helping out, Samuel. <laughs> you know, as we think through this, I think that that's, those two distinctions are where we need to really focus. Because the issue is I can't sit and say, you are condemned. I can't say you're not a Christian. I, that's not my call. I can't judge that. I can judge whether what you're doing is right or wrong. I can say this is a sin in your life. Or this is a sin in my life. But I can't say you're doing that because you're lost. or you're doing, You know, th- those are the issues here. Um, John Stott says this, Jesus does not tell us to cease to be men by suspending our critical powers which help to distinguish us from animals, but to renounce the presumptuous ambition to be God by setting ourselves up in judgment. He, doesn't say, he says, don't, you know, I mean, let's just think through for a minute. If you're going to a situation and you're, you're going to let someone watch your children, you're going to hire a babysitter, and you go to one of these new little things that you can call and get somebody online, you're wanting to know, have they done background checks on this person? Do they have a history? And so you look online and you see the name Jeffrey Dahmer. You going to hire him to babysit? No. You know, are you being judgmental? No, but you're using good moral judgment. And so we have to be careful here that we don't, don't get into this mode. And it's become, it's always been popular, but with social media, it's even more popular now. Everybody, you know, well, that's just my opinion. I can say this and, you know... And you can't judge me and you can't say I'm right or wrong. Well, that doesn't make any sense. For one thing, when you say you can't do this, you're kind of judging me when I say you can't do it. It's a two-sided coin. But I want us to think through as we've been talking about this idea is what does, it, what does a church become, excuse me, how does a church become an authentic, grace-filled, relevant group of Christians rather than a hypocritical 
judgmental, boring, and out-of-touch collection of churchgoers? That's been our question for this series. So I want to tell you two stories. One story from modern day, and then we'll look at a story from the Scriptures. And it's funny because the person who tells this story is one of those people that when I say his name, for those who've been around Christianity and the church for a while, will make a judgment about this person first thing. So if you're ready to, to judge this person, then I hope God convicts you today. Um, but you know, Tony Campolo tells a story. That Tony Campolo is a, a nationally known speaker. Um, you know, maybe a little out there on some issues, but, but he tells the story of speaking at a conference in Philadelphia. And he spoke, and he got through, and sat around, and talked to people real late at night, and then he just, going back to his hotel, didn't feel like, you know, he just wanted to go back and be at the hotel by himself, so he stopped at a little coffee shop that was open all night, just to get a cup of coffee and some little something to eat before he went back to the hotel. And as he was sitting there, a young lady sat down beside him who was obvious from her dress and from what everybody knew of her that her job was not one that you want your daughter to do. And so she sits down next to him, and she, he just strikes up a conversation with him. And, and he, they talk for a little while, and he finds out her name, and, and he finds out that the, the next day is her birthday. And then she leaves and goes on about her business, and so he asks the guys, well, what are y'all going to do for her birthday at the, at the coffee shop? They said, well, we really weren't planning anything. He said, well, let's plan a party. And so the next day, they throw a party for this young lady of the evening for her birthday. He goes and buys a big cake and all this stuff and gets her a couple of gifts with no strings attached. And they have this birthday party. And at the end, she said, well, what do you do? I mean, why are you here doing this for me? He said, well, I'm a pastor. And she said, well, what kind of church do you pastor? He said, I pastor a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes. Now, we say that. We talk about wanting to be a church that welcomes everybody. Every church you talk to will say they want to be a church that welcomes everybody. But are we? You know, are we going to be that church? I think, I think we are there. I think that, but, but we've not experienced some people who might make us a little uncomfortable if they come through those doors. And so we've got to sit and think through, do we want to be a church that throws birthday parties for prostitutes? The second story is in John chapter 8. Now, in your scripture, in your Bibles, you'll see that it has brackets around this passage. And you say, well, does that mean that that passage isn't supposed to be in the scriptures? No, it's not saying that. What that's saying is, anytime you see that, is, is it's usually this passage is one that we know is biblical. We're just not real sure chronologically where it fits, and so the person decided to put it here. So it, just, it is a scriptural passage. It just may not necessarily be in chronological order, which is really not the purpose of John's book anyway to keep things in chronological order. But we're familiar with this story. Jesus has been teaching, and some Pharisees bring him a woman caught in adultery. And he brings, they bring her and they throw her at his feet. And they basically ask him what should happen to her. She's been caught in adultery. According to the law, she should be stoned to death. So what are we to do? They don't care about this woman. 
They definitely apparently don't care about the man she's been caught with. They're just trying to trick Jesus. And I read a book many years ago, and, and it's, it's speculation. It's not, we don't know what Jesus wrote in the sand. But Jesus kneels down and he just begins to write in the sand. Now, one of the guy that I read speculated, he just kind of started writing out some of the guys standing around sins. <laughs> you know, just kind of jotting it down in the, in the sand. Didn't point anybody out, just wrote the title. And as he's doing that, people begin to throw their rocks down and walk away, beginning with the oldest ones who know that they're not right. And he stands up and he looks around, where is everybody? Is anybody condemning you? She says, no, they've all gone away. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. But what did he say? Go and sin no more. Now, the Pharisees were being judgmental. They just wanted to prove a point. They wanted to trick Jesus. Jesus judged what she was doing as sin, but he showed her love and compassion. See, it's not a matter of... And I think the reason we're confused with all this is most of the time as believers over the years, we are quick to point out sin, but not in a very loving kind of way. Not in a way that even we are concerned for that person and them getting out of that sin. We just want to point out that they're wrong and we're right. And so I think we need to begin to look at people's lives. This morning, I mean, it's funny how things, how God does this. And I'm driving to church this morning and there was a guy crossing the highway, not the highway highway, but crossing Monticello Road. And everybody's having to stop to wait on him to get across. He can barely walk. You know, and my first thought is, not a good one. And then as I drive by, it's like God says, he's created my image. And, and he's struggling. It looks like he, he probably hasn't bathed in a long time. He can barely walk. I don't know if he's, he's drunk or if there's something else wrong. But God convicted my heart. But you know what? Unfortunately, he didn't convict my heart enough to stop. I have to get to church and help set up. Brian might get mad at me if I'm not here to set up. No, I'm not blaming Brian. I'm just saying, no, the, those are the things that go through your mind. You know? And that's what, that's what the guys did when the, the man was robbed on the side of the road, the story of the Good Samaritan. Some of it was they didn't want to deal with it, but some of it, hey, I got I to get where I'm going. Got to get over here and do my job at the church. You know, do we, do we have that heart that says, no matter what the situation, no matter how bad this person has gotten, we're going to love them anyway. Does it mean that we, love doesn't mean we let them get away with sin. Love doesn't mean we ignore, but it means that we point out sin with the purpose that's not just to make us feel better and them feel bad. It's, there's a different purpose to it. What is that purpose? Good moral judgment focuses on the person, not the rules. The rules were, yeah, this woman should have been stoned. She was caught in adultery, but so should the man who was with her. And the, and the Pharisees were, were focusing on the rules and focusing on catching Jesus and in breaking the rules. 
But Jesus was more concerned about her. The rules are, as a man preacher who's away from his family in a hotel in Philadelphia, you don't sit down in a coffee shop and talk to a prostitute. You know? It's just generally not a good idea. But because Tony Campolo was more concerned about her than the rules, he was willing to break the rules. And so as we begin to sit and think through, how do we love people who are messed up? But we don't continue to beat them down in their messed up state. We love them and try to help them. I've got a friend that's been doing inner city ministry in Fort Worth since 1981. And Mike has seen a lot of... His name's Mike Myers, which... He's not either of the Mike Myers, but, um, but, but he's, he's been doing this for years. He kind of looks like John Denver, you know, and so, but he's just very unassuming. But Michael, I mean, he, I remember the first time I went on the street with him when we're, you know, he introduces me to this guy. I don't remember the guy's name. I'll call him Tom for whatever it was. He says, you know, wait, this is Tom. And I just, you know, Tom is one of the drug dealers here in this community and he's, what he's doing is destroying this community, and, but we're going to pray for Tom right now. And he says, Tom, is that okay? Tom? Yeah, sure. You know? And so Mike's going, you know, God, just show Tom how he's destroying this community and how he needs to get his life right with you. And I just pray you'll make his, his business just go down the toilet. I mean, I'm praying with one eye open, you know? Thinking <laughs> we're all going to die right here. This is it, you know? But that's just the way Mike is, very unassuming but everybody on the streets of Fort Worth know that Mike loves them. He doesn't put up with junk. He doesn't let them continue in their sin. He talks to them about their sin, but he loves them. And they know that because every single day of his life, cold, rain, doesn't matter. Hot is Fort Worth, Texas. You know, when it's 110 degrees, Mike's on the streets. For 37 years, he's been doing that. And so, he's not worried about the rules. A lot of the people on the streets in Fort Worth are breaking the rules. They're there in Fort Worth because they've broken the rules to get on a train as a hobo to get to Fort Worth. They've, they've hopped a train and not paid the fare to get where they're going. That's not his job. I'm going to get a little political here for a minute. People who are here undocumented... It's not our job to worry about whether they're undocumented or not. That's the the government's job. They're here. Our job is to love them and to reach out to them. Our job is not to focus on the rules. Not to, as we're ministering to them, we find out they're undocumented, let me call somebody. Get them kicked out of the country. All right, now y'all, y'all going to never let me speak again. Um, So good moral judgment focuses on the person and not the rules. Good moral judgment's purpose is restoration, not punishment. You know, people talk about, I've heard churches talk about church discipline. Well, that just seems like that's very ungodly to ask somebody to leave church. What are you doing? Well, if your goal is to just make your life easier by asking that person to leave, then yeah, you're doing it wrong. If your goal is, you know what, we just got to keep pointing out that what you're doing is wrong and you've got to get it right. 
because we want to see you restored, then those steps of church discipline are important. And they're not ever designed to be, here, let's bring this person up front and put a big A on their chest and tell everybody their sin and kick them out. That's not the job. The job is we, we constantly are going to them and investing in them and loving on them and trying to get them to, to get right with the Lord. But there comes a point in time where they're doing more harm than good in the body and you've got to ask them not to come back. Sometimes, I've actually seen that work where people eventually come back and are restored. I've seen it sometimes where people just walk away from the Lord and and the church. We've got to be careful. The goal is not to... The goal is to bring them back in the fold. The goal is to help them get their lives right. You know, using Mike again as an illustration, Mike doesn't... he He doesn't mince words. You know, along with this drug dealer on the street, I've, he'll go into a, a liquor store in Fort Worth and ask the owner to come out front. We'll sing song, worship songs, and then he'll pray that God will shut his business down. You know? And the guy goes, thank you, gives everybody a Coke, and, and, and you move on about your business. But, you know, he's not putting up with the sin, but those guys know that he loves them. And his heartbeat is, he doesn't want their business to shut down so that they go poor, He wants their business to shut down because he wants them to get right with the Lord. And he wants the community to be restored because of that. So that's what good moral judgment does. Judgmentalism is, I just want to see you get your due. You know, so we've got to be careful there. And good moral judgment's motive is love, not power. Gentleman made, made this quote this week, and I... I would tell you his name and give him credit, except for I don't know how to pronounce his name. I've seen it written. I've, seen, I've heard people say it, but I'm going to butcher it if I try to announce it. But he said, you've got to hug the margins if you want to diversify the center. Now, the point is, he was talking there about diversity in the church. But the point is, those people that are on the margins... If we want to be who God has called us to be, you've got to hug the margins to bring them to the center. That means that sometimes Sunday morning church is going to be a little uncomfortable. Sometimes you've got to sit next to somebody who hasn't bathed in a while. Sometimes you're going to minister to somebody that you think, man, where did they come from? What did they just come out of? I remember working at a Christian bookstore in Atlanta, in, in an area of Atlanta that you don't really just go hang out in a whole lot. Um, it's an area I grew up in, in Atlanta, but it's a little bit unsafe now. Um, but in the wintertime, there were many, many times that prostitutes would come in off the street out of the cold to get a cup of coffee and warm up for a while in our Christian bookstore. You go, now we could sit around and go, oh, let's go get him a book on prostitution. What's wrong with you? Get your life right. No, we, we ministered to him. We loved on him. We gave him free coffee. We had one come in that was running from someone one day that was wanting to kill her. So we bring her in the store and hide her and call the police. And I can remember standing at the front door watching a guy driving up and down the road looking for her. 
You know, that's the motive is love. It's not that I can tell you how I've got everything right and you need to get your life right. The motive is I want to pull you up and help you. I want to do what I can to restore you. That's the difference. And if we truly are doing ministry the way Jesus has called us to do ministry, we're going to deal with messed up people. And sometimes those messed up people are going to be dirty and filthy and have been doing drugs the night before. Sometimes they're going to have more money than you and I have. And nice homes and nice cars. But their life has fallen apart. And it's easy to minister to those people, right? Because they get right with the Lord. They're going to give a lot of money to the church. These people get right with the Lord. They may ask for a lot of money from the church. Okay, well, I'm really, I'm sorry. I figure if I'm going out, I might as well go out in style. Um, and so, you know, that, I mean, that's, that's the way we do it, isn't it? Someone can come to church and be living with their girlfriend, but if they are dressed nice and they give enough money, we just ignore it. But someone comes to church and is a little dirty and doesn't give as much and seem to be constantly asking for something, it's easy to kind of push them out, isn't it? We knew this series was going to be fun, so we're just, just get ready. I think, because that's, what it's, that's why we're here. To be honest, I was talking to two guys this week, one of them I work with and one works with another ministry, and we were just getting to know this one guy, so we're all just sharing our testimonies. So the guy from the other ministry talked about being addicted to drugs and alcohol and God changing his life. The guy that works with me talked about being addicted to drugs and alcohol and after his second divorce, you know, coming to know the Lord and, and God opening up a door for him to get married again and to, to be restored and all this stuff. They said, what's your testimony, Wade? I grew up in church, gave my heart to the Lord when I was eight. You know, six-month period when I was a teenager, I was an idiot. Other than that, been following the Lord ever since. You know, and you, you, it's okay. It's a, you know, we go through this thing where it's almost like we're embarrassed to tell that story because it's not as dramatic. You know, God didn't change my heart when I was 35 after drugs and alcohol. But you know what? The eight-year-old kid needed God's grace in the same way that the 35-year-old drug addict needed God's grace. None of us are saved by our good works. I wasn't saved because I was brought up in a Christian home. I wasn't saved because I ate, I gave my... Yeah, that's the step. But it's by God's grace, no matter what. And so no matter who comes through those doors, no matter who we come across at work, no matter who we come across at school, no matter what the situation, they all need grace. And how are they going to know that grace if we are being judgmental? We've got to show them that love and that grace. And I'm just going to be honest with you. There's not a single one of us in this room who can do it by ourselves. Because by myself, if you're not like me, I'm going to judge you. 
But by God's grace and mercy and the power of the Holy Spirit, I can love you. I can see you loved and restored. Let's pray.